0: Hi, uh, this is Nicholas Forrest here from the a listart And uh, today's guest is the uh, renowned British artist, uh, Tracy Emin, and uh, I'm with her in Sydney as uh, she's about to unveil a monumental public artwork, uh, and um, it's titled, "The Distance of Your Heart." Is that right, yes? Yes. Got it right, okay. So, do you want to perhaps just start off by telling us uh, where you got the title for the work?
1: Uh, The title for the work came about with the idea for the work. So when I was in Sydney, and I was thinking about what I wanted to do, and walking down Bridge Street and around, just around the area, that whole point that I was so far away, and I was so distant from everything, and and I was also thinking about people who come here to Sydney. When I first came, I used to go to King's Cross and I would see the sign that says, like, New York 10,000 kilometres, London 15,000 or whatever. And there'd be loads of backpackers standing there with their backpacks on having their photograph taken, and it looked so sad and forlorn. It didn't look like it was about a celebration. It looked like, or else it was either like, I'm showing off because I've come so far. I'm like, how far have you gone? You've gone next to a signpost that says how far you've gone. It's not really telling anyone how you're feeling, what emotions you have. And when I first came to Sydney, I was kind of like really excited, but incredibly homesick and um, worried about being so far away. So I thought it would be really beautiful to have something to counterbalance the King's Cross signpost and have something which is, um, that explains that you're missing someone and I was thinking what we really miss is someone's heart and that is hard to measure you can miss someone who's in the bed next to you you can miss someone who's you know 10,000 miles away exactly the same so the distance of the heart is that's what I'm trying to talk about that's what I'm trying to measure
0: okay so just to describe the work it consists of 68 sort of life-size models of, of birds and their bronze is that yeah. They're bronze? Okay. And they're perched on buildings and various other places. All the way down Bridge Street. They're, they're perched Bridge on Street.
1: windowsills, buildings, bus stops, you know, all kinds of places. And when you when you look up and see them for a second, well, definitely they look like real birds, but they're not. They're absolutely not.
0: So you kind of created bird-shaped creatures, that resemble birds? It's it's just a a generic bird, would you Yeah,
1: I I know that if I'm sitting on a park bench or something and I'm alone and I see a little bird, especially in London we have sparrows, and they're so sweet and tiny and fluffy, and they're kind of good little birds as well. You have these tiny birds. It just makes you feel good. It makes you feel... Like, you have some kind of empathy for this little creature that can fly. And I also think, definitely, for people who have who are, who are grieving or have some kind of bereavement, when you look up into the sky and you see a bird flying, and especially if the bird seems to be circling you, you wonder, you think, has that bird got a different spirit? Is that bird carrying the spirit of someone I love? So I think birds, definitely, I said, we used to say that birds are angels of this earth because it gives you this otherworldly feeling. But, in Sydney, the birds are a different kind of animal. You've got your ibis, you've got oh, your miners, yes. you've got, you know, they're different kind of birds. So I also thought I'd introduce some sweet birds, some nice birds, some birds that have a different kind of personality. Yes. We need some sweet birds, because yeah. the miners aren't
0: sweet. The ibises are awful, disgusting things. <laughs> So that's good, we'll have um, something a little more uh, pretty to to look at, something a little more sweet. So, 68 birds in total, and how long is the sort of route that it goes? About Um, a mile, mile, um, mile,
1: and about a mile or so. It starts at the top and then goes all the way down the bottom to Macquarie Macquarie Place. And that is where distance was measured Um, when the settlers first came here. And it was also, you know, like an incredibly. you know, special site, um, an ancient special site, which I think, and the waters, the rivers used to go there, and they used to say the distant souls would pass by. So I didn't know all this, but it's really funny that I should choose that space. And the idea of having birds as well, and the fact that I think the birds can carry souls, it's, it's, to me it's comforting, it's a nice thing. And in the, in the park, I have a bird bath, and on the bird bath it says, the distance of your heart with one little bird... And I'm really hoping that people will have their photograph taken there and send it home instead of just standing at the signpost that says, 10,000, look how far I've come. You know, When you're missing someone, you don't want to tell them how far away you are. You want to say, I love you. I miss you.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, that's great. That's a great concept. I love it. Now, public artworks. There's always a bit of controversy over public artworks uh, but I think you've taken sort of a, a different approach to the idea of the, the public artwork. What did you want to sort of um, create that you know, would, would be still a public artwork but not the traditional sort of...
1: When, when I made my first bird it was about 15 years ago and it was at the Oratory in Liverpool. And I won the commission because my whole thing was that a lot of public sc- sculptures, a lot of public artworks are really macho, mm. really big. It's all about, look how big I am. Mm. And I was thinking, why can't you love something which is really small? Why can't the public artwork be protected by the public and endeared and loved? Why does it have to be something which takes over? So I, my first bird was um, actually much smaller than these, and it was at the oratory on a pole that was very high. And people did really love it. And people in Liverpool still love it. They call it bird on a stick there. And and I understood that you could, you, know, you don't have to make something big to give it some presence or power. It's love. It's about what people give to it that becomes important. And as an artist, you can't be an artist unless people see your art. Mm. That's It's a two-way thing. So, um, you know... Like, I never imagined in a million years that I could do, like, nearly 70 of them. That's and amazing. and I said, to, I, I wrote today to someone that it was like, um, I said it was a, a, a highway, a highway of, um, a highway of spiritual, a, a spiritual highway of birds that takes you through the oh, city. Oh, yeah,
0: oh, boy. You're not afraid of people sort of nicking off with the birds?
1: Well, no, this is interesting... If that happens, supposing people did take the birds, they're, taking it, they're what they're taking, they're not taking something from me, they're taking something from the city, mm. something that belongs to everybody. And why would you deface or attack something small and tiny that needs to be protected? It doesn't make any sense. No. It's more like, this is ours, these are our birds. And we should look after them. And they're a symbol of something which we need at the moment. It's about enlightenment, about love, about thinking about, you know, precious things. It's not fast. It's It's not about power. It's not about money. It's about all the opposite to that. And everybody needs that moment of, that poetic moment in their lives. Everybody. So I'm hoping people will protect that moment for themselves and and not attack the birds and not take them away, because there's Mm. no point in doing that. No,
0: absolutely not. Fair enough. And so you've also got a uh, show of your work opening uh, in Sydney as well, and it consists of some of the uh, examples of the the birds, the bronze birds, and also some fantastic uh, paintings as well. uh, figure. what do you call them, figure studies? No, not really. No. Just
1: more, I mean, I've painted for years. I've always drawn. But in the last 10 years, I've really been painting a lot. And usually my paintings are very large, but occasionally I'll do like a small series, which I've done here. And my paintings often take me a really long time to do, even though they look like they're just done. They're fresh, and it just looks like one layer or one colour, they're not, uh, maybe underneath, and each painting might have four or five paintings underneath, or two paintings underneath, and, um, but these, all of these ones here uh, are all figures, are all figurative, figurative. and a lot of them are to do with a kind of, um, like a kind of mirrored image, or like a mirrored soul, like a reflection of the self something like that, understanding that there is a self which is outside of you.
0: And they all have paintings underneath them as yeah, well? Yeah, all
1: these ones have paintings, and if some of them, the paint is so thick, but you can't really, you can't really see it, you can you really look properly and close up. But, um, you know, sometimes I, do, I get a painting and it's almost perfect, I, I like it, and there's one little bit I don't like, and I go over it, and then I realise that I've ruined it, and then I have to paint the whole thing out. So and that's happened a lot on these and I've ended up with this series which I really like. They're all very light pink, blue, very soft, sort of like this sort of pastel bluey kind of light colours. But it wasn't intentional from the beginning. What I love about painting is when the paintings tell me something, I don't want to sit there and make a picture, I want it to control me and that's that's the buzz from it. I always say to people, you don't go to a fortune teller and tell her what you want to hear. You want to hear something you don't know. And that's the same with
0: paintings. Absolutely, yeah, they're fantastic, absolutely wonderful, uh, wonderful works. Quite, you know, quite an intimate scale as well, which is wonderful, a bit like the birds, I suppose. Yeah,
1: with things here in the house, because um, it's a private house, um, things can be intimate and things can be of a real scale. You know, it doesn't have to be gallery scale or museum scale. It can be like you can get really close to things mm. and look at them properly.
0: It's great because you can sort of see how it would look if you know in someone's own own yeah. house, which is great. It's a good. It's a good. Uh... And,
1: and we came up with this idea years ago. It was yes. Amanda Love and I. I'm very good friends with Amanda Love, and I was going, I'd really like to do a show in Australia or in Sydney. I'd really like to show somewhere that's really intimate, and I don't really want to show in a gallery. I'd like to show in a different kind of space. And then we realise, because the house is very, very minimal, I mean, mm. extremely minimal. There's very little furniture in the ear. My voice is really echoing because there is nothing in the room and mm. that's. stuff. And there's usually um, Amanda and Andrew's collections always rotate on the walls. And at the moment collection is going to be, well not the collection, it's going to be works of mine, so
0: yeah, they're wonderful, and um, it is a private residence you're showing in uh, and you don't have a gallery representing you in Australia, and, and you were mentioning that you know you have a certain attitude towards galleries and you don't want to have one in every city do you just want to perhaps explain what what your kind of uh, I work attitude with, okay, is? Okay, I work with three galleries
1: yeah. I work with Xavier Huffins in Brussels, very blue-chip gallery. I work with Jay Joplin in London. I work mm. with Jay for 25 years now. And I work with Lorcan O'Neill in Rome. So I've got kind of got, like, Southern Europe with Rome. I've got Northern Europe with, with Xavier. And I've got London with Jay. And all three of them work with America. Mm. And I love my galleries. I love Xavier, I love Lucan, and I love Jay. And they're my friends. And I have such a great relationship with them. It would seem it, it, it seems really odd if I go and work with someone else. I don't feel comfortable. The only way I could go and work with another gallery is to make money. That's the only reason.
0: And that's not something you are keen on doing.
1: No, I'm much more keen on doing museum shows, doing projects like the Sydney one. I mean, and also with the Sydney project, the reason why I'm doing it is because I love Sydney because I know the mm. city, mm. I think... If, maybe if I'd, been offered, if I'd been offered a project, saying Istanbul, I would do it, but it wouldn't be this. This, the birds, it lends itself. It's perfect, the distance of your heart, everything. It all makes sense. But, you know, I've got... To, anything that's site-specific has to make sense to me. I have to want to do mm. it. And it has to be innate, it has to be part of me anyway. So when it comes to working with galleries, I can't just, like... I tried to do a show in Korea with a very good gallery, but I couldn't do it because I just felt so alienated from Korea. I didn't feel comfortable. It didn't work for me. Even though it was a fantastic gallery, I get offered really amazing galleries to work with and shows, but I don't feel... Doesn't, it doesn't work for me. I like what I have, and I don't need more than what I have, and I like to really concentrate on the work. And if you're an artist and you, you've got, like... On my level, the art kind of artist I am, I could have, like... Ten different galleries around the world.
0: You can have as many as you want. Yeah, yeah. but you'd
1: just be on this treadmill of making work. And a lot of artists of my caliber, they don't have a studio; they have a factory. Mm. And I don't have that. And a lot of, and all work now I make myself. All the work I'm hands-on with. And Harry, who's my creative assistant, my studio assistant, Harry, he's actually downtown at the moment. Last night he was he was on a cherry picker till four in the morning, putting the birds up, sending me photos, you know, we're really hands-on, it isn't like, you know, everything, nearly everything is touched by me, and as I get older, that's becoming more and more important, and I have a number of artists who aren't, and friends who aren't conceptual artists, but they don't do their own paintings, even though they're not conceptual artists, they still get other people to do their paintings for them, What is the great thing about an artist doing a painting? It's because the artist did it with their own hands, with their mind, with their heart. That's what I'm into, and it might sound old-fashioned, but I'm going more and more towards that, definitely. And even with the sewing now, I don't do any sewing anymore because I had people helping me do the sewing. So if I ever do sewing again, I'll do all the sewing myself.
0: So, I mean, we see so many artists these days really producing work specifically for the market, and at a rate that is specifically for the market, but I suppose, how would you say that selling your work is really the way of enabling you to continue to, to work, not
1: Yeah, all, all of, I'm quite, i not, not mean with myself, but I'm quite frugal, and all of all my money and all my earnings goes back directly into my studio and the production of my work. And enables me to take on, like, like now I'm making really b- giant bronzes and I finance it all myself. I don't rely upon the galleries to pay for my production costs. I do it all and I'm very proud of that. And also, you know, if I make a giant bronze and it's, I don't like it, I'm totally responsible for it. You know, I don't suddenly, the gallery hasn't got to melt down a ton of bronze, you know, or bury it in the sand somewhere. You know, I'm taking responsibility for what I do. And as a woman, and as a middle, you know, my age, I'm 55 now, I've got maybe another 25 years, 30 years left maximum, I realise that I've got to up the ante about what I want, what I need, and what kind of artist I want to be. So um, taking as much control as possible is important.
0: Yeah, about leaving a legacy as well, perhaps? Yeah,
1: and, and that's the legacy thing is, this is why I'm so happy about the project in Sydney. These birds are going to be around a lot longer than me. True. You know, and it's brilliant. My friends' children who live here, their children are going to see Trace's birds. And not from an ego point of view, but really more from a thrilling point of view. I've made it. I'm an artist. I'm leaving something behind. and it's not. And the fact that it's not... Um, a private enterprise is not it's actually a city commission it's but the mm. people have paid for this mm. and i really hope the people like it because it's not bombastic it's not big it's not in your face i'm not being demanding i'm trying to just give a little bit of pleasure in the day to people and mm. it can be as profound and as poetic as you want to be it's like when you look at a bird. Whatever you may think when you look at a real bird, you can think these thoughts when you look at my birds. And that's, that's what I hope.
0: Okay, fantastic. Just a couple more things I just want to uh, want your opinion on that I'm, I'm sure all the, all the listeners will want to know about too. And one of them is perhaps this Me Too movement that's going on. Now, as a, you know, a very influential female artist... Uh, have you experienced anything, you know, in terms of gender bias or, do you, have, you know, do you have an opinion on this? No, on I've, this? I've,
1: got, I've got an opinion on this. I've been screaming and shouting about this for years. I made a TV program about 15 years ago that made comparisons between the prices between male and female mm-hmm. artists who are exactly the same pop, career paths, exactly the same age, maybe done exactly the man, same amount of... Um, Museum shows or whatever, maybe just died at the same time. The male artist's work will sell for fifteen million, and the woman's work will sell for seven hundred thousand. And I didn't, I can't understand that. It's sort of changing, but it's exactly the same within the within the museum world. Female museum directors get paid less than men. It makes no sense, but we know about that. We know there isn't gender equality within the, you know, within any any occupations, and that has got, I mean, it's got to change, and that is changing. But as opposed to, you know, for, for things like um, any kind of sexual harassment, the only time I've been sexually harassed was by a woman, funnily enough, mm. who I threatened to, you know, throw across the room,
0: mm.
1: and everybody came, you know, she was an incredibly well-known artist, and everyone came to her rescue, and I said no. She just grabbed me. Yeah. You know, you don't do that. Yeah. And it's kind of weird. All these women making a fuss about all these men. I'm telling you, there's women out there that are vultures too. And, and I don't see why there's got to be one set of rules for men and one set of rules for women. Sexual harassment is the same regardless of what's... Yeah. Whether you're the same sex or different sex. So that's the one thing. I also would like to talk about bullying... You know, um, when I first showed in America in a museum, I showed at the Walker Arts Centre, and the director of the museum at the time uh, actually shouted at me in front of everybody and said, with your attitude, you'll never show in a museum in America again. And I said to him, with your attitude, I don't fucking want to. Of course, yeah. And that's what it's about. And you know, guess what? For years I didn't and I don't ever know whether this man put a line through my name every time my name come up, loads of my contemporaries they showed in group shows, museum shows but I actually didn't after that but I really meant it if I'm going to be bullied and if I'm going to be treated like a piece of shit by that kind of establishment I don't want to fucking show that anyway Mm. I don't want to and I would say to, I think if someone I've never ever been in a situation where I've been offered anything with favours involved. I've always been able to stand my own ground and stick up for myself. And my career has always been, like, based on my work, really, mm. totally. So I haven't had a lot of problems that other people have had, I've got to say.
0: Okay. But you think things are beginning to change?
1: Yeah, I think things are changing. I've always, thought like, okay, so ten years ago, I said that it's going to take, can I tell them to be quiet? I think yeah. oh, okay. So, okay. so 10 years ago I said that um, um, it would take 50 years or 100 years for things to get better 5 years ago I said it's going to take 25 years, it's kind of speeded up to get better and now I think things could get better really fast within the next it, it could expedite, within the next 5 years things could be a hell of a lot better for women but the change has to come from men. men women can scream, shout Demonstrate, do whatever they want. But it isn't going to change unless men's, at, men's attitudes change.
0: Okay. And the other thing I just want to touch on briefly is your opinion on Brexit. Do you have an opinion on Brexit? I've got
1: massive opinion. You on have it. a great massive opinion on Brexit. Ooh. I'm anti-Brexit completely. Right. So anti-Brexit, I don't even like to use the word. I'm pro-Europe. Always have been, always will be. I think it's an absolute, almost criminal and ludicrous of us to move out of Europe. It doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense financially. Makes sense, no sense culturally, and it definitely doesn't make any sense in terms of um, diplomacy or um, in terms of um, you know. I think it makes Britain very vulnerable completely in every way. So, especially in terms of terrorism. And the saddest thing about it is that Britain has become even more divided than it was before, and that's not what we need at the moment. The world needs unity, not mm. division. It's true. And also, any problems that we had with Europe would have been so much easier to sort out from inside than the outside. You know, Britain is just going to go on the bottom of the pile as far as export is concerned, and that's gonna, And people haven't looked, haven't understood... Financially on their everyday level, how that's going to affect, especially the poorer people in Britain, it's going to be horrific for them. Mortgages will probably go up by 25%. Food will go up by a good 15%. And Britain isn't in a position to take care of itself. I mean, it would be, I'll tell you a brilliant analogy, it would be like me saying, you know what, I don't think I'll work with galleries. I think I'll just sell my work on my own. I'll make lots more money. Of course I won't. Of course I won't. Because that's not what the artist does. And and Britain isn't in a position to just take care of itself. It's not, that's not what is healthy for Britain at the moment.
0: Do you think it'll have an effect on Britain's standing in the art world as well.
1: Yeah, if you've got a choice... OK, so I gave a... I know a, a, a dealer, a secondary market dealer that voted for Brexit. So I said to him, OK, so you're buying and selling all the time. You've got a choice to to, to sell or buy from Germany or Switzerland. Which one do you do? And he said, oh, Germany any day, because it's so much easier. I said, there you go. Every time you do a deal, it's going to be like working with Switzerland. Mm. And the other thing is that um You know, it's just going to be harder to get works backwards and forwards. Through opera, for example, and theatre, it's a nightmare because of people being, you know, getting their work permits, all that kind of thing. And, and people... Are, I'm not moaning. I'm just saying people haven't thought it through. They haven't thought through the consequences. And culturally, culturally, people are going to go, well, don't choose the British, you know, because we're, we're not being very friendly. And it's like drawing up a drawbridge... You know, we might feel safer, but we're going to die. We're not going. We're going to die of hunger,
0: mm.
1: and that's what's going to happen. There's no. There's, there's going to be less and less exchange, and it makes us looks, British look so unfriendly and so horrible. Okay. So, at, King, at King's Cross St Pancras. St Pancras, yes. yes really talk about this year, project. Um, I've had this huge giant neon that's 20, 20 metres long and it says I want my time with you and all the people that get off that train from Brussels, off that train from Paris are going to just see this great big sign that says you know, Europe, I love you, I want my time so it's with you a friendly you. welcome for all yeah, those people Yeah, exactly, because I want, I want people in Europe to know we're not all xenophobic xenophobic, racist greedy People, you know, some of us actually think Europe is a really good idea. Whatever the issues are that need to be ironed out, they can be so much easier from the inside than the outside. So, you know, it's, I think it was a big mistake, and and now they've done just done a, a very good survey where they realised that if they did another referendum now, then Remain would would win definitely.
0: Because they realise what the consequences of the people starting has been. to
1: realise, yeah, and the other thing as well. Um, there are so many more people over the age of 16 that would obviously vote to be in Europe.
0: Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that if uh, you ever decide you don't want to be an artist anymore, you certainly have a good career as a politician. <laughs> when,
1: I was, when I had my show at Xavier Hopkins in Brussels in September, I wore this very nice um, Tom Ford blue suit. Yes. And I had um, a Europe, a, a, a British flag and a European flag badge, pen, and I actually, at my opening, I went around saying, hello, I'm your new Euro MP representing Britain. And you people said, you should do it. <laughs> no, I don't know anything about politics, but my passion, yes. my passion for, for you know, and I, was, and I said to, people said to me, why are you so pro-Europe? And I said, why not?
0: Yes.
1: Why do you want me to be unfriendly and hate like a myriad of countries. I come from Margate. Margate is 19, 18 miles away from the French coast. Mm. You know, wow. swimming distance. True. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, uh, Tracy Eamon, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and we look forward to seeing your birds unveiled very shortly and also the work at St. Pancras as well, which sounds uh, absolutely amazing. Thank you very much for your time.
1: <laughs> Thanks. That was good.